Thank you so much to the Leadership Forum for allowing me the opportunity to come and share this morning. I was genuinely excited. I have been here before when I came with Stuart, uh, and I loved my time with you. So I was excited to uh, be given the opportunity to come and share until I found out what the subject was. And then I was a little bit, oh, I feel a bit stitched up with this one. So, all in. Today, we're going to talk about tithing. Money. Oh, the Britishness within us trembles, doesn't it? That's why I'm so thankful we've got so many Africans in our church. They know how to tie. They know how to talk about money without getting the, the chills. All in. So we're continuing with our All In series. What we regard as a live church is the key elements and the key partnership opportunities that we have as the church body to partner together for the glory of God and the purposes of his kingdom. Just by way of an introduction, just, um, just who I am. Uh, as was introed, I am Si, Simon, or you is often one my wife will shout. Uh, I am a member of the executive team. I work uh, for a live church full-time, uh, which means I support the outworking of the vision that Stuart and Irene, the vision core team, set. And I have the wonderful privilege of being a part of that team. Uh, I am married. I have uh, two of my wife, funnily. I have two children, uh, and they are phenomenal, phenomenal children. Uh, I studied at the University of Sheffield, and I did biblical studies, so I was uh, taught how to deconstruct the Bible. Unfortunately, I didn't plug myself into a church, so I wasn't told how to put it back together again. So me and God had a bit of a fallout. Well, I, I fell out with him, spent a few years doing what young men do. And then I uh, decided I would try Lincoln for a little bit. I grew up in the southeast. I'm not home to, to Lincoln. So I moved uh, for a six-month to a 12-month period. That was my plan. That was what I told uh, myself. That was my vision. And nearly a decade and a half on, I am there. I am now in a church part of the leadership team, married with two children. How many of us know that living a life with God is never, never dull? It never sets you out the path that you imagine. And it's interesting, especially I say that, it's never dull, especially when you have kids. Uh, we, we first one, Jacob, three years old, coming up to his fourth birthday. Uh, and I Oh, he's he's a wonderful, wonderful little boy. He uh, is he's quite cautious. He's a bit of a risk assessor. He takes his time. In fact, we had to, we just took the stair gates away and we took the guard away from the fire because he just naturally wouldn't go near it. Any any kind of element of concern, he wouldn't touch it. He wouldn't climb the stairs. He wouldn't go anywhere near it. And we thought, oh, we've nailed this parenting thing. We're pretty good at this. Until Ava came along. My wife calls her free-spirited. I suggest feral. Uh, you can't leave the toilet open because something will end up in it. You have to check the washing machine before you start. Before, Because uh, your shoes could be in it. Anything could be in it. Can I, <laughs> can I just be naughty and a little bit real for a minute? Some of you are like, some of you are. Oh, well, I've got the microphone. So, while well, I was trying to finish up preparing for, <laughs> for today, yesterday, 
she did a poo on the kitchen floor. That's the reality of my world right now. That's the reality of life. But yet, in those moments, my children are still the most valuable thing that I have in my life. More than my football team, more than my job. The value I place on them is by far and away the greatest thing. Even when you look at your children with a slight perplexed expression as I did yesterday. And what I'd like to do this morning, if I may, is talk about money and talk about tithing, but I want to take a slightly different turn on this and talk about value. The things that we place value on, the treasure that we have in our life, and how we conduct ourselves and respond to that. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to take the the message in two halves, if I may. I want to do a very, very quick teaching bit on tithing. I'm going to go through very, very quickly, uh, and I'd love you to take some notes, because essentially what I want to do is I want to ask the questions about tithing, and then answer them with Scripture. And then we'll move on to a little bit more of a preachy bit around the value and the treasure that we have in our hearts and how we respond to those. If I go too quickly with the Scriptures, just wave at me. I'm happy to, to go back over them. That's no problem. Okay, shall we? Let's talk about money. (laughs) So, first and foremost, what is a tithe? Very simply, a tithe is a 10% donation or giving of your income or produce back to God through the stewarding of the priests. We see in Leviticus 27.30, A tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, is the Lord's and is holy. In Hebrew, the word is ma'asawa, ma'asaya, I should say, uh, and it means literally a tenth. We get the word tithe from the Old English tiogotha, which means tenth. So it's a tenth. Ten percent is our return to him, to God. So who gave the tithe? Or who gives the tithe? Quite simply, everybody. Now, before I progress on this, I would just like to say there are a number of different interpretations for tithing. There are different perspectives and different opinions on tithing. But I'd like to say that this is the, uh, this is as a live church, this is where we stand and where we believe on tithing. Uh, And we believe that everyone should be giving of our tithe. We see it with Abraham in Genesis 14, 17 and 20. And Jacob in Genesis 28:22, And then a system for tithing was instituted in the law of God given through Moses in Deuteronomy 12, 14, and 26. And then the practice continues into the New Testament and was a wider cultural norm than simply religious observance. But Jesus endorsed it. He encouraged it. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So here we see a heart 
cry from Jesus, a realigning of the purposes of tithing, that actually there was a purpose and a heart thing before it. He requires us to do it without neglecting the matters of the law and of justice. So what is the tithe used for? In the Old Testament, the tithe was used to support the priests. Numbers 18 to 21 says this, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. But similarly, in the New Testament, this practice is continued. Paul says this of the gospel ministry, that the ministry of the evangelists and the traveling pastors was supported through the tithe. In 1 Corinthians 9, 13 to 14, don't you realize that God told those working in his temple to take for their own needs some of the food brought there as gifts to him? And those who work at the altar of God get a share of the food that is brought by those offering it to the Lord. In the same way, the Lord has given orders that those who preach the gospel should be supported by those who accept it. Does God need our tithe? Of course not. Psalm 50, 10 to 12 reminds us that every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. And we must remember that God created all things and that we are merely stewards of this. So when should we tithe? And this is, a, this, is a, this is one of open debate and discussion, but we sit where we return a tithe to God as our first fruits. It's the first element of our giving before we start spending money on other things. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. So our position would be that that is before we give to the government through tax, before we give our national insurance, it's before we return our student loan, that actually the first fruits of our income, whether that through grain or finance, would become part of our tenth, i.e. gross, not net. And the last question is, why should I tithe? What good question. Why should I? Can I just say, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. Tithing is a way of teaching us about priority and value. Deuteronomy 14, 23 says this, You must tithe all of your crops every year. Bring this tithe to eat before the Lord your God at the place he shall choose as his sanctuary. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn of your flocks and herds. The purpose of tithing, I'll underline this, Deuteronomy 14, 23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. So the outworking of that is the furthering of God's kingdom and the substantiation of his people and the ministry of the evangelists. But the purpose of tithing to ourselves is to teach us to put God first in our lives. 
And returning the tithe to God helps us remember that he is ultimately the owner of all things. When we get our own finance, our own salaries, our own things, the things we touch, we can often assume ownership over it. But Psalm 24, 1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those dwell therein. You see, that actually, it's not just handing over ownership. We are stewards. So when we receive it, we need to remember that actually the source of that wealth is from him as well. Deuteronomy 8, 18. And you should remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. And it goes stronger. Malachi 3, 8. Will a man rob God? You have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. And it's not that we rob God of the money, because everything in the world is his and belongs to him, is from him. But we rob him of our heart response. Because ultimately it's a heart thing. And we don't do it out of a sense of fear. We don't tithe out of a sense of obligation, but we give to God willingly out of a heart response to what he has already done for us. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And my wife and I have um, had our own journey with tithing. When we first got married, we didn't tithe. We didn't give. We gave um, an offering now and again, whether there was a a special appeal or we might give to charity. But as a regular thing, um, we, we didn't do it. We just didn't do it. And actually, we were both earning all right. And there was one moment not long after we first got married, maybe a year or two into our marriage, and we came all of a sudden out of the blue right to the end of our overdraft. Boom, we were trying to get some money out of the cash point, and it wasn't there. It was a bit of a shock. We, we didn't quite realize how we'd mismanaged our finance necessarily. And um, we spent some time talking it over, reviewing our finances, reviewing our TV packages, and all those kind of um, good methodical things through where you work through your budget and see what your what your outgoings are. And we couldn't really quite work out where it had all gone, but there it was. The uh, the account w- told no lies. We had there was no fraud in there. We checked that as well. It was literally out of that we were spending more than we were getting in. And we kind of realized, we came for a little, we, we, we took it to God. We literally, we weren't tithing and we took it to God and said, God, help us with our finances. And, and there was that kind of, I could almost see his face. It's kind of like a, yaha. And both of us separately came to that conclusion that actually in order to get our finances right, we had to get our relationship with him right. So we began to tithe. And it seems a bit counterproductive. That actually, even though we are financially tight and restricted, that we would begin to set up a standing order in order to tithe. And the next few years, I got three promotions 
in the next year and a half, I got three promotions. My wife got one. We were never in more financial blessing. And we, without shadow of a doubt, put that down to the fact that we honored God first with our finance. Now, it's been a journey because recently, about a month or so ago, my wife and I were just searching through our outgoings and we realized we were down to about, and I'm being honest here, we were down to about the last 200 pound in our overdraft. We thought, how, how is this, how does this work? We're like, how have we arrived back here? So again, we did our budget. We looked at our outgoings. We understood there's no fraud in our account. No one had cloned a card. So we were trying to work out how has this arrived in the same way. We're not, we're not frivolous. We don't go crazy. Um, you should see my battered focus outside, and that's evidence of that. But it occurred, suddenly occurred to us as we were going through our finance that our tithe wasn't right. That actually we had reduced our tithe when my wife was on maternity leave because she was on standard maternity pay. And my wife is the main breadwinner in our family. And we'd set that tithe in response to our incoming, but we hadn't reset it when she got back to work. So our tithe was too low. So we've set that. We're really tight. And yet, we believe that that is the right thing to do. So we have set our tithe. And I will be honest, we haven't seen the promise of God <laughs> materialize in the natural yet. But I do believe God. I believe in his word. I believe that if I hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering, he who promised is faithful. I believe that, but my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. And I know that if I seek first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the rest, all the rest will be added unto us. And that Matthew 6 quote, that last one, the preceding verses is all about Jesus saying, don't worry. Don't worry about the clothes on your back. Don't worry about your bank account. Don't worry. Because if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the rest, all the rest will be added unto you. In fact, the only thing that God tells us to test him in, we say don't test the Lord your God, but actually that's not entirely accurate. There is only one thing that the Lord allows us to test him in. And that is finance. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe, the whole tithe into the storehouse. Not what my wife and I were, uh, were doing, was putting a part of the tithe into the storehouse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I believe the word of God. Who believes the word of God? Who stands on that? Now, we could, obviously, we could focus on the blessing element of that verse. And whilst I do believe God blesses, I do believe that he gives abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. I do believe we are blessed to be a blessing. I do believe that there is difference between seed and bread. 
What I mean by that is I believe that God gives us resource and talents, skills and time in order to invest and sow for growth and return. For the kingdom of God, for the society around us and for our own situations. And I believe that there's bread. Do you know what? It's okay to have stuff. It's okay to spend money on yourself. The problem lies is when we um, we spend our bread and we eat our seed. Amen. And the Bible mentions money over eight hundred times. And of all Jesus' parables, more than half of them talk about finance and money. Ask the question, why? Why is it such a key subject? And some people would focus on the blessing element. And I'm I'm happy to do that. And I'm happy to talk about that. But I think there's another reason. There's another motivation behind this. Because actually finance is one of the three main reasons why people trip up. Money, sex, power. Who's heard that before? Christian leaders are renowned for those one of those three things or more than one of those three things are things that cause people to fall. And money is one of those things that really causes people problems. And as I said, we're British, most of us. We hate talking about it. It's not what we do. Yet weirdly, if you notice, if if you're on social media, things like that, we don't like talking about money, but we love to show off if we've got it, like we love to show off like in the clothes we wear, the holidays we've been on. Social media is dreadful for it. The car we drive, our social feeds are just made up of people showing off. Why? Why do we do that? Because even though we aren't talking about money, by showing our wealth, it buys us social capital. It buys us status socially. And whether that is the job we do, the money we spend or the car we drive, it all feeds that need within us for people to think that we are worth something, that we have value. And other people seeing that value, recognizing that value, giving you a like or a share on your social feed validates us. And this need for validation can be seen in so many ways. It's not just finance. Whether it's through relationships that we enter into, the way we conduct ourselves in public or private, private, what we post on social media. Can I suggest that when, when our validation comes from man, that it is a hollow temporary thing and it may give you that temporary relief but it is an addiction that will just need feeding these things that give us temporary sense of validation suddenly become really important to us and we begin to protect them or go after them with more energy similarly 
there was a sense of ownership or fear when they're not there, when they're not immediately there in front of us to be had, or they're taken away. We feel like there's some sense that we're going to lose out. So can I be bold? I'd like to suggest that that fear of losing out is a lie from the enemy. That if we invest in our relationship with God and our identity in Him, in the same way that we invest in perhaps our on-screen relationships, that the need for this earthly validation disappears. That if we hear what our Creator has to say about us, we begin to form our identity in light of our original design as heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. As the head and not the tail. As the above and not beneath. If we hear what our Creator has to say and not the, the circus mirror the enemy would like us to believe, our actions and behaviors begin to change in accordance with this revelation. And in terms of money, when we're able to release at least 10%, I'd like to make the difference, tithes are your, the 10%, offerings are additional. Tithe, we say we are giving our tithes and offerings. Tithes are the minimum 10% and offerings is anything and above that. But when we get into a place where we diligently prioritize the value in our life and place finance back into the hands of God, our money doesn't have that tight hold of us anymore. Because we realize that God is in control. He's in control of everything around us. He's including our finances. And we remember that everything we have has been given to us by him. And by doing that, we set our focus on that which is most important. We prioritize the thing that we hold most valuable and we put that first. And by an act of our will, we intentionally demonstrate that the other things in our world don't have a hold on us. That we have control over them. You see, your actions or patterns of behavior around a thing will reveal the value that you place on that thing. So if you have no care or it holds, something holds no value to you, it does get neglected. I'll be honest, I've got absolutely no interest in ice hockey. It's not a thing to me. I don't know the rules. I've never played it. I don't even skate. As a result, my ability to take part in ice hockey is non-existent because it holds no value to me. Therefore, I have neglected learning how to play because it holds no value. But something that does hold value for me changes my behavior. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, treasure is something that has value. And it's really easy to see how your behaviors match or contribute to, your, to what you value. Just look at your bank statement. What do you spend your money on? 
how many Costa shops come up? Costa, 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 Costa. How much time you put into something will demonstrate the value you place in something. How much time do you spend on a particular activity in your week? Eating, sleeping, exercise, work, Facebook, Instagram, relationships, reading the word or prayer. Do you spend more time on social media than you do in the word investing in your relationship with Jesus? Can I make the observation that you find space for what you treasure? You make room for it. You allow for it. You plan for it. You choose your priorities. You see, I enjoy running. It's, a, it's something that I started a few years ago. When I have a full-time job, I have a family. It's not, it's not an easy thing to find time to go out for a couple of hours. But um, again... Can I be honest? Can I be vulnerable with you? I have a diagnosis for um, an anxiety disorder that's perfectly manageable. It's, we, there's, no, there's no issue. I've seen specialists. I've got medication. But we also know that exercise, for me, is a great way for me to stay in control of this thing. And so it's important to us as a family that my mood and my mental health is in control. It's important. It has value, so we make room for it. Getting up early. I remember we, um, my sister got married. She lives in Australia. So we went out to go and uh, went for the wedding. And uh, I went out one morning. I thought I would sacrifice. I, you make room for it. So I sacrificed a little bit of sleep. I got up early on the, on the morning. And I thought I'd go for a run down near the... It sounds dramatic. That sounds good, doesn't it? In Australia. And I went running, running, running down the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I went out about half eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And if you go out anywhere in the UK, half eight, nine o'clock in the morning, on a Saturday morning, it's going to be empty, right? It's dead. You might get a few street sweepers. The place was absolutely heaving, heaving. And I was running along the seafront, and I thought I was, I was doing pretty good. And, uh, and then this, this woman um, just casually glided by me. Now, what the really sickening thing was, was not that she passed me, but it was the fact she was pushing a buggy. Not only was she pushing a buggy, it was a double buggy. And there's me sweating and heaving. There she was, casual as you like. Uh, that's completely by the by. The point is we make room for the things that we hold of value. I wanted to get up early because I valued my family and I value my mental health. So we got up early in order to allow me to run. But we don't all at attribute value to the same things. When I, um, uh, more recently, I remember, I w again, I, w I went out for a run. And, and I'm, I'm one of those... Um, uh, all the gear, no, no idea kind of guys. So I, I'd, I'd got my running gear on and I'd got the, my phone and these running shorts that barely got any pockets in. The pockets are this deep. And I got to the corner of my road where I start my run. I was getting my lunge out. And uh, there's a guy in our street who's a, a, a lorry driver um, throughout the week. And he was out there... Um, polishing and cleaning his 4 by 4 nice big 4 by 4 and uh, I thought well, I, I can't, you know I'm a, I want to give, give a good impression I want to show that I know what I'm doing 
So uh, I put my, my earphones in, put my phone in my pocket, and I started in a really good stride, good pace on me. And as I started off, I felt a little tug on my ear. And what I realized had happened was I hadn't quite got my phone in my pocket properly. So the earphones were pulling. And then all of a sudden, the ear, earphone jack came out the phone. And as I was doing more, one of these big, long, lovely strides, I volleyed my phone clean as anything. Boom. Woo. Skimmed down the road and literally parked right by the guy's feet who was cleaning his 4 by 4 I'm like, oh man, give it a rest. You know when you try and style something out? I just trotted up, picked up. Morning. I just put it back in. You're like, ah, oh, the embarrassment. That's just not what we do. But it occurred to me, actually, the value that he placed. And it hurt my heart when I realized and I saw this. Because he's a truck driver and he's away all week. And he has a wife and two children. And he spends the weekend with his four by four. And it hurt my heart to see that his priorities and his value in his life was a car and his wife and children who he doesn't see all week was in the house you see our behaviors let others and ourselves know where our treasure is and by being aware of where your treasure is you can begin to make conscious choices about where you want it to be by honestly taking stock of where your priorities are you can begin to take conscious control over some unconscious behaviors worship team do you want to do you want to come up what do we call unconscious behaviors a habit by repeating an action unconsciously it becomes a habit and when that habit is positive it reaps a positive outcome and when the habit is negative it reaps a negative outcome Can I say you reap what you sow? When you sow into the kingdom, when you sow your time, when you sow your talents, when you sow your finance into the kingdom, you are bringing transformational resource into not only your life, but the world around you. And I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. We're on our own journey with it. In 1 Kings 17, I won't read the passage, we're out of time. It tells the story of the widow and Elijah. Elijah comes down off the mountain and he says to the widow, give me some water. So she goes to get him some water and while she says, he says, bring me something to eat. And she says, we have nothing left. We've got enough for a cake for me and my son and that's it. That's all we've got. But she takes what she has and brings some of it to to Elijah the prophet. Even though she has nothing, no means to get any more, she sees the end. And yet what she gives, what she has, she gives away. And in response to that, the Lord provides an overflow, an abundance. And the Bible reminds us in this account, that her jars are never empty. They never run dry. She had nothing. 
yet she still gives a portion of what she has. And so when you make an act of will in accordance with the word of God, you are engaging your faith and bringing change to your world. So like the widow, let's give out of faith, not out of fear. Test God in this and allow him to do what only he can do. So as we, con- as we conclude, can I, can I offer a challenge? Take the opportunity. Take the opportunity. If you don't set up a standing, if you haven't got a standing order, maybe that's something you like to consider. Oh, this is awkward, isn't it? We don't like to do this. Oh, we want to talk about money, but then one is money's one thing, but then saying, why don't you give some money? Whew. Why don't you do that? Why don't you consider that today? Before you leave today, in the envelopes, in the, um, the little packs, there's uh, cards in there, there's, there's fill out your details. Why don't we consider that today? Putting a standing order together, get our finances right, and invest, sow good seed into the kingdom. Father, we thank you for all that we have and we recognize and acknowledge that we are merely stewards of that which you have provided. And we give you thanks. We give you glory. Father, when we say take control of all our lives, please allow us to willingly, joyfully give all of our lives to you, whatever that may be. Help us to create good habits and understand that the value we place on our relationship with you is the highest, is the most wonderful thing that we could possibly do. Father, we thank you for what we have and we receive your blessing in Jesus' name.